technological difficulties. Can you hear me, everyone? I'm just going to talk really loud. Here we go. So, good evening, everyone. Uh, for those of you who are new here, welcome. Uh, for those of you that are tuning into our live stream, we are so excited that you're here. And for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is David. I am uh, currently here on the team at South in the youth ministry and worship ministry as well. And today is Good Friday. It's one of the few, de few days out of the year, aside from Christmas Eve, uh, where we all gather together as a church family on a day that is not Sunday. So why do we do this? Good Friday kind of seems like a misnomer to some of us. Uh, maybe they should call it Black Friday. I don't know. Uh, just seems like they got the two switched around. So why do we gather? Why do we gather on this day? Why do we do this? And it's not because we think this, this earns us any brownie points with God. You know, it's not so we can check off you know, another box on our I'm a Christian list, if you will. We gather tonight to remember. We gather tonight to remember and to worship Jesus for the sacrifice that he made on our behalf. Not because we think we uh, need to make you feel guilty. I'm not here trying to, you know, manipulate your feelings or make you feel sad or feel something that you shouldn't. Like, that's not the point of tonight. No, we want to remember Christ's sacrifice. And so my hope uh, as we walk through this story of the crucifixion, as we walk through uh, Jesus dying on the cross, uh, my hope is that your affections uh, and your admiration for Christ uh, are stirred up and that you would walk away from tonight with just a greater love and affection for God. And so before we begin, I'd just like to take a moment to pray. Uh, so let's bow our heads. God, I am so incredibly humbled um, that you would use someone like me to proclaim your gospel, uh, that you would use someone as frail and weak as me uh, to stand before everyone here uh, and share the good news um, that Jesus was crucified on a cross, that he suffered and died for me and for everyone here. God, that he made a way. And so, God, I, I just pray, um, Lord, would you humble me? God, would you uh, use your words and not mine? Not that I have anything better to say uh, than what you have given me. And so, God, I pray that you would just open our hearts, uh, God, to the story and to the reality uh, that Christ died on the cross for our sins. God, to pay the debt that was owed. God, would you uh, fill us with your spirit? Would you fill us with uh, just an affection and a love for Jesus Christ? Would you open our eyes to the gravity of the situation? Would you open our eyes to the weight uh, of the love that was poured out for us? In your name, amen. So if you all turn uh, in your Bibles, if you have them, uh, pull them out. If you don't have one, you can grab one from the back. Uh, but we're going to be camped out in John chapter 19, uh, verses 16 through 37. So if you'll take a moment uh, to just turn there. One of my favorite films growing up as a kid uh, was National Treasure. 
one of my favorite action films growing up from when I was a kid. It's great. It's got like anything and everything that you would ever want in an action film. It's got great chase scenes. It's got adventure, hidden treasure. I mean, it's got Nick Cage in it, one of the greatest actors of all time. It's got Sean Bean, and he actually survives through the whole movie. I mean, come on, like, it's great. And so if you don't know the actual plot of National Treasure, I'm going to spoil it for you. But it came, in, it, it came out in 2004, so I don't feel bad. Like, that's your fault if you haven't seen it. So if you don't know what happens, uh, you've got these two guys. So you've got Ben, the main character. You've got the villain, uh, and basically, they find out that there's an actual treasure map on the back of the Declaration of Independence. And so the villain, he decides, I'm going to steal it so I can get a look at that map. And Ben, played by Nick, Nick Cage, he says, nah, like, we can't do that. So he goes to the authorities, goes to the FBI, goes to the people that protect the Declaration of Independence, and he says, someone's going to steal it. And they laugh at him. They're like, no, no way. You're crazy. You're some crazy little treasure hunter. No way that happens. And they kind of just wave him away. So he does kind of the only thing that he thinks he can do. And he decides to steal the Declaration of Independence. So before the bad guys can get to it, he's going to. So they crash in, they crash this big party, they steal the decoration, and Sean Bean, the bad guy, he's right behind them. And there's this big scene where Ben has to make a choice. He has to either give up the Declaration of Independence, this giant symbol of American freedom, or he has to save this young lady who laughed at him and who he really doesn't get along with. And he chooses to save her. They lose control of the Declaration of Independence. It falls into the hands of the bad guys. And things appear, for all intents and purposes, to have gone very wrong. And kind of like that today, today we're going to look at the crucifixion. And as we look at the crucifixion of Christ, we're going to analyze a plan that appears to us to maybe have gone very wrong. Initially, some of us may look at the death of Jesus and think, this didn't go the way that it should have. Generally, we kind of start to analyze movies. We start to analyze stories at this point. And we ask, you know, we ask things like, how did we get here? You know, why did they do it like that? I would have done it differently. You know, I would have done it a different way. And then finally, what is the point of all this? And so we're going to answer all three of these questions really simply in our story. So if you'll look with me, uh, we're going to go and read through this story uh, and read through verses 16 through 30 in chapter 19 of the book of John. It says this, Then he handed him over to be crucified. Then they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went out to what is called place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side with Jesus in the middle. Pilate also had a sign made and put on the cross. It said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. 
And many of the Jews read this sign because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, don't write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate replied, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them in four parts, a part for each soldier. They also took the tunic, which was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it. See who gets it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that says they divided my clothes among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. This is what the soldiers did. In standing by the cross of Jesus, where his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. Then he said to the, to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his house. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine was sitting there. So they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. And so we see Jesus die in that passage. And this all kind of begins in events that are before John 19. So we we begin to ask that question, you know, how did we get here? How did we get here of all places to the cross? And so we're going to take a look and see. So first of all, uh, just giving you a little recap, Jesus was born. Like Jesus really lived. You know, he was born to a virgin. Uh, it was a miraculous uh, birth. And we know that he lived. We, we have not only the support of the Bible, but we have the support of other historical documents. Uh, ancient documents uh, like Josephus's Antiquity, uh, where Josephus clearly talks about this man, Jesus, who lived and kind of stirred up trouble in Israel. He actually lived, like, like I'm not making this up. He was born in Bethlehem to Mary and Joseph, de descendants of the line of King David. And he was fully man, and he was fully God. So Jesus grows up in Nazareth, uh, he begins his ministry in his 30s, and he calls 12 men to be his disciples, to learn from him. And to us, these 12 men, uh, they don't look like a bunch of winners. Uh, they're not necessarily who we would have chosen, and I don't know if you feel this way, but I look at that and I'm like, praise God, because <laughs> I'm right there with them. And so once Jesus begins his ministry, he preaches repentance. He preaches the arrival of the kingdom of God on earth. He tells people to turn from their sins and to worship the one true God. And so to be clear, his message, because I think a lot of us get this misconstrued, his message is not you're doing great, just do you. 
You know, he doesn't come in like Oprah and start handing out riches to all of these great godly people like you get a donkey and you get a donkey and you get a donkey. Like he doesn't do that. It's not in there. You won't find that in the Bible. No, he, he tells them, you've sinned. You've rebelled. Turn from your sin and worship the Lord your God. He goes around healing people, casting out demons, and forgiving those that have sinned. And Jesus has mercy on the outcast. He has mercy on the people that don't deserve it. He shows grace and love to those that don't deserve anything close to that. And he claims his rightful title, his title as the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Messiah. And this begins to ruffle some feathers among the Jewish priests and among the leaders of the Jewish nations. They don't like how popular Jesus is getting. They don't like that he's kind of stealing their thunder. He's telling people to repent. He's telling them that, you know, God forgives them of their sins. This kind of takes away their power, their ability to guilt trip people. And not only that, Jesus calls these men, these revered men out on their sin. He calls them whitewashed tombs. He calls them this brood of vipers. He's saying, hey, guys, you, you think you've got it made because you keep my commandments. You think you've got it made. Well, you don't. You're not good enough. You can't earn salvation. So they get ticked off. And they devise a plan to arrest Jesus and have him killed. And Jesus travels to Jerusalem with his disciples. He enters the city to a, just a fantastic kingly greeting. And this is what we typically celebrate, you know, the Sunday before Easter. We celebrate Palm Sunday. So Jesus enters Jerusalem like a king. You know, all these people are shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. They're laying down palm branches on the ground as he rides in on this colt. The people of Israel welcome him as a king, and he is the king. He is the son of God. And then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, he betrays Jesus to the authorities. He's arrested, accused, interrogated, and beaten with fists and whips and brought before Pilate. Uh, Pilate's the Roman governor at the time, and Pilate interrogates Jesus and kind of finds like, man, he hasn't done anything wrong. He's really not that bad. And he tries to release him. So Pilate brings Jesus before the Jews one last time. And he says, hey, you know, here is your king. And the Jews and their leaders cry out and they say, take him away. Take him away. Crucify him. So this brings us up to speed on the events of, that lead up to John 19. Jesus lives and now Jesus is going to die. So in John 19, verses 16 through 7, we see this. Then he handed him over to be crucified. And then they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went out to what is called place of the skull, 
which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. So Jesus is given a cross. He is made to carry his own cross. And if any of you have ever tried to carry a tree, it's not that hot, like it's not that easy. It's actually very difficult. And not only on top of that, he's already beaten. He's already bloody, sleep-deprived, hungry. And I don't want to kind of dive too far into how brutal the death of Christ is, how brutal these beatings were, or how brutal the crucifixion is. But let me just say this. It is one of the most painful, torturous deaths you could ever experience. Jesus is nailed to a cross and and tied there in such a way that he would slowly, painfully, and publicly suffocate to death. He hangs there on the cross. He hangs there and he suffocates. And with one last breath, with one last effort, he cries out with a loud voice, uses all the last energy that he's got, And he cries out, it is finished. It is paid in full. And Jesus dies. He died. And he said it was finished. We can see how we got here. We can see how we got to this point with Jesus on the cross. But how? Why did it happen this way? What's, what's going on here? Like, Jesus is dead. People are, are mourning. Why did it happen like this? And if we begin to look a little closer at the text, we see some imagery start to emerge that maybe is a little bit vaguely familiar to us. So first of all, uh, the text says that it's Passover preparation day. So if we looked at John 19, verse 14, uh, it says that very clearly it was the preparation day for the Passover. Uh, And then if we also look uh, at verse 31 in John 19, it says, since it was the preparation day, uh, the Jews did not want the bodies to remain on the cross for the Sabbath. And so preparation day, this is the day before the Jews celebrate Passover. It's the day before they remember that God brought them out of, captiv- out of captivity in Egypt. Jesus' robe, another thing, is being traded, uh, and it's one continuous piece of cloth, much like the robes of the Jewish high priests. You know, Jesus is often actually referred to as our great high priest. And then in verses uh, 28 and 29, you know, we see that moments before his death, Jesus is given a drink. And, it, and it's mentioned that this sour wine, this drink that he's given, is raised to him on a hyssop branch. Why do they add that kind of weird detail? Like, why do we need to know what kind of branch they're using? Couldn't it be any old branch? But let's look at a little deeper. The same type of branch, the hyssop branch, was supposed to be used to spread the blood of a pure, spotless lamb over the doorposts of each house as the Spirit of God passed over each house thousands of years ago in Egypt. Exodus 12, verse 21 through 25, 
I'm just going to read it here. You don't have to turn there. But it says this. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and to the two doorposts. And none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your house and to smite you. This is clearly the picture that we see in John 19. We see the symbolism, and it's not just symbolism. Jesus is the Passover lamb. He was the lamb that was supposed to be sacrificed and bled out to cover and atone for the sins of all of us. And we see Jesus as the lamb of God taking this place. The lamb without spot or without blemish sacrificed on the cross. It's not a coincidence that they use this imagery. Jesus became a sacrifice for us. And this means that in the same way that God looked on the blood of the lamb over the doorpost all those years ago as a sign of faith that would keep the household from undergoing wrath, so we see the same is true now with Jesus. But for all the sin, it covers all the sin for all that believe in the blood of the lamb. It's not a coincidence. And this isn't really the only thing that we see here as we look through this chapter. All over this chapter, John keeps saying a certain phrase. It says, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. And we see this several times, not only with uh, Jesus, kind of this picture of the Passover lamb, but we see these prophecies that are fulfilled. So let's read uh, verses 31 through 37. Since it was the preparation day, the Jews did not want the bodies to remain on the cross on the Sabbath. For that Sabbath was a special day. They requested that Pilate have the men's legs broken and that their bodies be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other one who had been crucified with him. When they came to Jesus, they did not break his legs since they saw that he was already dead. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified, so that you also may believe. His testimony is true, and he knows he is telling the truth. For these things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Also, another scripture says they will look at the one that they pierced. So these prophecies are being fulfilled in Jesus. Verse 24 is actually comes from Psalm 22, verse 18, that says, They divide my garments among themselves and cast lots for my garment. 
verse 36 that we just read. Not one of his bones will be broken. Again, this is referring to the Passover sacrifice. In Psalm 34, 20, he protects all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Verse 37, they will look at the one that they pierced. That comes from Zechariah 12, verse 10. It says, then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem, and they will look at me whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly for him as one weeps for a firstborn. All of these prophecies, all of these prophecies that are hundreds and thousands of years old are fulfilled only through Jesus. Jesus wasn't just some man that lived and died, but he had a purpose for coming. It was God's plan from the beginning, from the moment that sin entered the world in the garden. It was God's plan. This is not some story of like a faraway God who's angry at men. This isn't you know, him sending Jesus to sacrifice himself so that maybe he would be a little bit less angry at us. It's a story of a loving God who after we rebelled against him, while we were still sinning, he set in place a plan that has now been carried out and fulfilled in the death of his son for his glory, for our redemption, and his good pleasure. Jesus died to fulfill and finish the plan that God laid in place. And what most of us might walk away feeling right now, if I kind of left it here, is that Jesus died a brutal death and that you know he suffered and that scripture was fulfilled in it. And you would be right. Like you, you would not be wrong, but how? How did all of this work? How did all of this lead up to our redemption? So the point of Good Friday is not that we just talk about how brutal the death of Christ was, how he suffered and how you know, he died. Like he did die a terrible death. He satisfied what we could not, though. Like he, he satisfied what we could not. And like at the end of the day, he did something that we couldn't do. Like we could die terrible death. And so let's call back to my example, National Treasure. So at the end of National Treasure, we get this kind of scene. So they've found the treasure, they've rescued the Declaration of Independence, and there's this meeting between Ben and Agent Sandusky of the FBI, and they're talking to each other and kind of working out some kind of trade. And so Ben hands him over uh, you know, the treasure, he hands him over the Declaration of Independence, and the FBI agent is like, okay, what's the catch? You know, you've given me these things, what do you want in return? And Ben says what most of us would probably say, I would really love not to go to prison. Like, I cannot tell you how much I would be, love not to go to prison. And the FBI agent, Sandusky, he kind of looks at Ben, and he says one of the most iconic lines of the movie, someone's got to go to prison, Ben. There was still a payment that was due, 
that was even greater than the treasure. Someone had to go to prison. And in the same way, there was still a payment due. Could we die a terrible, brutal death like Christ? Could we be crucified? Could we die this death? Yes. In fact, some people have died terrible deaths. But we could not, in our humanity and in our sin, satisfy the wrath of God that should have been poured out on us because of God's righteous judgment. So like in the same way that God himself is eternal, like he is God. And so all of his attributes, all of the things that we know about him are also eternal. You know, his love is eternal. His grace is eternal. His judgment is eternal. And also his wrath is eternal. And so the blood of Jesus, the man, was necessary. It was necessary as this sacrifice, but it was only part of the solution. If we only have this part, we don't get to the redemption. And that is that the wrath had to be satisfied. Jesus needed to be fully man, and he was. He was fully man, but he was also fully God. In his deity, in his godness, Jesus being one with God in the Trinity was God. He was eternal. And therefore, in his sacrifice on the cross, in his eternality, as he cried out, it is finished. It was. It really was for all time. Because he was eternal, he was the only one that could take on the terrifying wrath of God, the wrath that we deserved for our rebellion. It was paid in full. Romans 5 verse 9 says, how much more then, since we have been declared righteous by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? Through Jesus, through Jesus alone, you have been spared the wrath of God for all eternity. It is finished. The story ends tonight with Jesus dead and buried, having physically suffered, pouring out his own blood as a sacrifice for us. We leave the prophecies surrounding him fulfilled. And we leave tonight knowing that Jesus, fully man and fully God, had the wrath of God poured out on him and he satisfied it. He paid the penalty for our sin. He did what we could not. He accomplished what we could never do. It's good news. It is good news that God so graciously came to take our sins so that we could be covered by what he did. So that brings us back to the purpose of Good Friday. The purpose of today is that we would remember. Not that we would necessarily rest in some sort of feeling, although feelings are good. 
not that we would necessarily rest on one particular aspect, but that we would look at the whole thing. That we would recognize that Jesus died a brutal death that we deserved. That he fulfilled the prophecies. And that he, as fully God, took on the sin and the punishment that we deserved. We're here to remember the cross. And if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't put your faith in him, don't wait. Like, don't wait another day. Now is as good a time as any. You don't have to be perfect to come to Jesus. You don't have to have it all together. It's clear from the disciples that he chose, from the people that are here leading this church now, that you don't have to have it all figured out. We're here to remember. And so if you don't know Jesus, put your faith in him today. And what that means simply is this. It means coming to grips with the reality that we have sinned against an eternally good God, which means we have erred in, in a way that is deserving of eternal punishment, eternal judgment as sinners. But faith in Jesus proclaims and agrees that Jesus satisfied the wrath set for our sin by his death on the cross so that we could love freely, so that we could live free from the wages of sin and live free in the life of Christ because of what he did, because of what he alone could do. So right now, on Good Friday, if you haven't put your faith in Christ, do it. Do it now. It is the gift that Christ freely gave for you. Put your trust in him today. For all of us here today, let's take some time, having gone through the story, having read the passage, let's take some time and remember and pray. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you that as we look at the scriptures, as we look at the story and the crucifixion of Christ, we see just all of these things laid out. We see your perfect plan from the beginning completed in Christ. And God, we have been given a salvation that we could never have hoped for, a salvation that we did not deserve. God, you have chosen us. You've chosen all of us as your people and as your children. You've adopted us through the blood of Christ. And so God, we praise you. We remember today. We remember the sacrifice of Christ. And God, we just pray, would you continue to work in us? Would you fill us with a joy and a, with an affection for Christ as we look at the story of Jesus, as we look at him crucified, as we remember Christ in the grave, God, would you fill us with a love for you? Would you give us peace? And would you help us uh, as we continue on? In your name.
Amen.